Andrew Gruel has made a splash in social media. Well, I mean, he's made a splash as a, as a chef, as a restaurateur. Johnson Wales University, where, uh, by the way, I had received a scholarship to and did not go to. That's my mistake. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. The splash on social media came from being, well, um, political. Well, not political, honest about the situation, about the world of COVID, about how we deal with things. And right now, as a restaurant tour with multiple restaurants across the country, including our beautiful, beloved Indianapolis, He's continuing to engage these conversations while continuing to grow when growing is an extremely difficult thing to do. Chef Andrew Gruel joins us uh, right now, and uh, we, we've been talking on, on social media for a good while. Chef Gruel, by the way, G-R-U-E-L is where you find him on Twitter. It's good to talk to you uh, in, in real life here. I know you're in uh, my beloved Indianapolis right now. Are you working on a new place or one of the Slapfish restaurants? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Great to chat. I really appreciate it. And yeah, we are opening a new uh, location on Mass Ave. It is an iteration of Slapfish. It's more full service, finer dining, um, uh, full bar. It's a raw bar, so chilled seafood, oysters flown in daily. Uh, we've got a pretty extensive menu here, so it is directly adjacent to our old Slapfish. It's actually in the old McNibbin space on Mass Ave know exactly where it is and wish you the best of luck with that because as we saw the jobs numbers come out you have 194,000 jobs when they're expecting 500,000 but one of the lines underneath that is that hospitality not entertainment but the restaurant bar industry was flat that's one of the sectors that isn't attracting new people to it so talk to me about your locations the slapfish uh, locations that you you, you have uh, out there uh, how hard has it been to get people and what is the challenge that you're up against yeah it's it's obviously you're going to hear a lot of different narratives surrounding this conversation and it's funny how quickly it goes from just basic macroeconomics into social issues so right at the bat and at the front side of this as we started to see the industry pick up again and uh, unemployment was still in place, and it became an issue about wages, and then it became an issue about, you know, kind of social issue about how workers were treated, et cetera. All this comes down to is supply and demand right now, right? And there's just not enough workers willing to work, who want to work, or who are in the workforce, especially in the hospitality industry. And it's interesting. Snagajob did a huge survey a couple weeks ago, and they determined that 45% of the people who left the restaurant and hospitality industry didn't do so because of wages or because of treatment. They did so because of the way treatment by their employers. They did so because of the treatment by customers. It is a brutal environment out there right now in the restaurant industry. And I was just saying this last night to a coworker of mine. It's fascinating how throughout the pandemic, restaurants have become the battlefield for every issue somehow related to the pandemic, both economic and social. Everyone goes to restaurants. Everybody thinks they're an expert when it comes to restaurants, not just retail, but restaurants specifically. And restaurant owners somehow have become vilified as these horrible people who want to operate their businesses in the midst of a pandemic. But it is the customers who are creating the toxic work environment with their Look, we have, you know, anecdotally, we've had situations where I've had young workers leave because there were people who got into fights over masks in the restaurant. Adults can't act like adults anymore. Nobody can leave each other alone. Instead, they want to just impress upon everybody else their, 
viewpoints on masks and this and that and the other thing, and they do it in the restaurant world. So it's become a very interesting industry. But uh, yeah, a lot of people just are not checking back in. They're not they're not working in the industry anymore. It's not the place to get a leg up. Talking to Chef Andrew Gruel of the Slapfish Restaurants, Chef Gruel G R U E L dot com, and the uh, the the foundation, if you will, eighty uh, six Struggle dot com, is a way of raising money to help restaurants in need. But we talk about, and that's eighty six eight six eighty six Struggle dot com. We talk about what's going on in the restaurant world and the way people act, just like the way we see it. On airplanes, more and more signs going up around my beloved Indianapolis, uh, probably uh, in in your areas of Huntington Beach, California, uh, that you you see signs that say, be patient. These people showed up to work. Treat them well. We'll get to you as soon as we can. This is happening everywhere. But yes, people, customers are taking it out on employees when the employees are simply doing what is best for the restaurant, which is not seating everybody at once, and then those people can't get taken care of at all. Exactly. And now you layer into that these mandates that are coming down, putting the restaurant industry in a vice, because we can't even find workers to work all our regular, regular shifts, right, just the basic business model. And now in many cases, like Los Angeles, which right I'm on the outskirts of for a lot of our corporate restaurants in New York City and other areas, you're seeing these uh, vaccine passports getting introduced where you now have to hire somebody to basically work the door and act as a bouncer for their medical records. Now, that's not just one person working the door. You figure if that's a full-time shift, that's at least three new bodies that you have to bring on board. There's no playbook. There's no calculus by which you're supposed to be doing this. The government just puts these mandates out there, and they don't actually tell you how you need to get it done, nor do they offset any of these excess costs. It's just another cost, another tax, another burden on the business, which of course, the big corporations and the large, large multi-unit restaurant groups love this because all it does is push out the little guys, right? The little guys who are just operating on pennies, if not negative pennies for margins, this pushes them over the edge. Now you've got this cheap real estate, corporations come in and take it for pennies on the dollar. And that's really the argument I've been making through this whole pandemic is, is that it's benefited a select few big businesses who have effectively merged with the government to now try and kind of manipulate the rules of the game under this executive order. And it's pushed out all the small to medium-sized businesses, specifically restaurants that operate on such small margins, and we're losing the color of Main Street. We're losing that, uh, you know, that flavor, that flair that you otherwise would get through the food world, and it's now just being kind of corporatized, and it goes from Main Street to Silicon Valley, effectively. And you, when you talk about that, you're talking about the uniqueness, the idea of chefs being get, getting out there, being able to try things. We talk about uh, the restaurant culture here in Indianapolis, and one of the reasons it works so very, very well is because it's hard to afford Chicago. It's hard to afford New York. It's hard to afford uh, Los Angeles and Huntington Beach. So you come to a place where you can afford it and allow chefs to grow and build and try and, and experiment and work with other chefs who are doing the same but just might not be able to afford uh, the the. Magnificent Magnificent Mile real estate uh, in Chicago. But as you look at it and you talk to other chefs and restaurateurs about it, which part of it is putting more pressure on you? Is it the idea of mandates in certain states or is it the employees who are being financially incentivized not to come to work? Well, you know, I, it's a little bit of everything, and I hate to be vague with an answer like that. But it starts with it starts with the mentality, and this this transcends state borders. It transcends local communities. The mentality is the fear, 
right? Fear-mongering that we see every single day in the press, these scare tactics, just these horrific headlines that are many, most times, incredibly hyperbolic and have no science behind them to try and drive us indoors, to try and drive us to kind of isolate ourselves in a bubble and not go out to eat and not enjoy life. That's affecting the mindset of the consumer, right? The consumer psychology, the behavior of the consumer, the incidents in which they actually go out to eat now is very, very, very limited. And many times it's subliminal as well, right? We don't even recognize that we're doing it, but these headlines over and over and over again affect people. And then those people are not just consumers, but they're prospective employees. So a lot of times they don't want to come back to work because of this, right? There's really nothing positive out there encouraging people to get back into the work workspace. They fear the workspace. And then in the, on the restaurant side of things, for 18 months, all you heard about was all of these cases, right? We were super spreaders. Restaurants were super spreaders. Well, the data doesn't show that. Uh, you know, 1% to 2% of cases spread in restaurants. Alternatively, 8% of cases spread in government offices, you know, so they should shut down the government. So that's number two. And then, yes, there are many circumstances in which it's for especially entry-level workers, it's much easier to avoid all of that fear by uh, accepting the unemployment benefits. And, and it's not just unemployment benefits. There's benefits that have, that have come in various forms that all add up and obviously establish a scenario whereby it's hard to get people off the sidelines. Because what I talk about, you know, people say to me, well, well, just pay your workers more, right? Well, if you're making $18 an hour on unemployment, right, you're not going to take $19 an hour to go lose 40 hours a week because really then you're only making a dollar an extra. So effectively, it's only $40 extra you're making to lose 40 hours a week. If you think about the opportunity cost. To get somebody off the sidelines, you've got to pay them a wage on top of the wage that they're making right now not to work. So really to get somebody off the sidelines, you've got to pay them $30 an hour at minimum, right? Because that's an extra $12 an hour on top of what they otherwise would be making, which is an extra wage for $40 an hour. So the math just doesn't play out. So when you're competing with the government, that makes things difficult. Now, there have been circumstances where you've seen some of those benefits burn off, and it hasn't necessarily affected the way in which people come back to work. And that's where I go back full circle to what I said at the beginning of this call, is people have just left the restaurant industry in general. They're not but going back to the restaurant industry at all. But, you know, my, my, my question was about, uh, is it mandates or, or is it people being incentivized to stay at home? And you what you, you what you went to was the idea of the psychology of uh, of the patron and how the psychology of the patron has been attacked. You, you know, we can say that it's wrong for people. And I agree with you to be screaming at the host or a server or a manager because there are open seats. If there's nobody in the kitchen to cook the food, there are going to be open seats, but you're engaging a, a much more, um, uh, psychological conversation by saying that what we've done as a society is created this underpinning, created this undertow of don't have faith in the restaurants. You're going to get hurt in a restaurant. It's going to make you sick. You're going to die from a restaurant. And you're making the argument that that has stuck. 1,000%. And, and thank you for isolating that because that is the argument I have been making. And I think that it's interesting how every single one of these studies that comes out you find these elements where they're trying to draw, they're trying to draw correlation, which obviously doesn't mean causation. So when it was funny, I remember last year when we were coming into the spring, CNN came out with a huge study that they were justifying and they were saying, well, we, you know, we, we took 200 participants in this survey across 11 different states who had COVID. And when we interviewed them, 
56% of them had dined out at restaurants within two weeks of getting COVID. Therefore, restaurants cause COVID, right? And it's like, that is the most absurd argument. My five-year-old could have poked holes in that. That doesn't make absolutely no sense. What about the many other places that they went to, right? You just isolate it with restaurants. And it's been fascinating how restaurants have become the common denominator in the argument nowadays. And then as each one of these kind of topics shift over time, right, you, you see the narrative, it comes together like a hurricane. And then all of mainstream media is the eye of the storm. And they all stick to the same narrative, the same refrain, even the same words many times. And when, and, and in many cases, it's always, it's always the restaurants. It's always restaurants and these small business owners, these pesky business owners who are out there trying to kill grandma. And that is just stuck in the psyche, right? It's part of the salience now of people's mindset. And it's truly affecting things in such a negative way that it's, it's, it's inhibiting people's desire to even get back to work in that industry. It used to be cool and sexy to be a waiter while you were trying to make it in Hollywood as an actor or an actress. Now it's cool to drive for Uber or to drive for DoorDash or one of these kind of more hipper, woke Silicon Valley outlets. Before I let you go. The uniqueness of this conversation is that we start with you being in my beloved Indianapolis, opening up a new place. You're still opening places. How does that work if if everything is punching you directly in the face? Well, we, what we do is, I mean, our formula for running a business, I think, is a little bit different than many others. And we've got a phenomenal partner here in Indianapolis. We treat our workers really well. The key for us all along it's not about the money. Money is superficial, right? Money comes and goes. It's about the way in which you develop partnerships with your team members. And that's the thing. People look at these small businesses and they treat them as if they're corporate America. They're not. Corporate America, sometimes, those are the problems, right? Those are the guys, but they've got great PR machines. We pay our workers well. We give them an unlimited amount of time off. We didn't have any internal spread in the restaurant industry because from day one, we said, if you crossed an uncle's brother's sister's cousin's dog who had COVID, do not come to work. We're going to give everybody unlimited pay time off. Take the time. Play it safe. We're going to pay you no matter what. Don't worry. And we increased our labor cost by 5%. And we already start our workers between 18 and $22 an hour, right? We're way above that curve. And we had no internal spread because people, when they were sick, they didn't work because they knew they were going to be able to keep their job. So it's about creating an environment that's more family-oriented, and it's about that community. But interestingly, you hear the words I'm saying, community family-oriented, um, small business. These are, these, are, these are dangerous words when it comes to the, uh, the new world order, but it works. By the way, we should be uh, totally clear that I am not the Indianapolis partner. I was never asked, and I'm very insulted. Very insulted <laughs> indeed. Uh, Andrew Gruel, Chef Gruel, I appreciate you taking the time. Chef Gruel online, G-R-U-E-L is how you spell it, chefgruel.com. And on Twitter at Chef Gruel, you can follow him there. Andrew, always a pleasure, sir. I appreciate it. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz.